0: Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Shigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In this episode, we're talking with Brian Hopcraft, Managing Director at Lewis & Clark Ventures in St. Louis, an early stage venture firm managed by former founders and operators, investing in late seed through Series B companies between the coasts. In this episode, we're gonna dive into the origin story of Lewis & Clark Ventures and their family of funds. We're also gonna talk about the value of having venture investors with operating experience They can help entrepreneurs understand the importance of raising the right amount of capital and from the right firms. The biggest theme or so what I hope you take away from this conversation is the advice that Brian has learned and gives to many entrepreneurs, which is to ask for help. There are so many people out there willing to help you, you just need to reach out to them. And second, dream big. Push aside any imposter complex and take the leap to start your company. It's going to be the best thing you'll ever do in your career. Please enjoy my conversation with Brian Hopcraft. Hello, Brian. Good to have you on Fast Frontiers. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. It's great to be here. I'm a big fan. This is a great platform and uh, yeah, excited to be part of it. We we don't get to catch up often enough, so I'm glad at least we get to catch up now on this, this episode.
1: That's right. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So a lot of great things happening with you, some recent announcements, which we'll get to in terms of your continued growth of your fund. Uh, but first, you know, I always love starting at the beginning. So Tell me more about the origin story of Lewis and Clark Ventures.
1: Yeah, that's great. You know, when we, when you're probably similar when you when you talk to uh, entrepreneurs and you first get to know them. I always love to hear the story of, you know, how did you get the idea? How did you get started? So I'm right. happy to share that today. Yeah, I guess I had been a, uh, prior to being in venture, um, I've been an operator and entrepreneur of early stage tech companies. You know, I was lucky enough to join a software company where I had a friend who worked in 1992 or something like that and really fell in love with the industry and never left. The origins of Lewis & Clark is I had met my founding partner, co-partner, Tom Hillman. Gosh, it was about 11 years ago. He recruited me to St. Louis to be CEO of a software company that he was a owner of. Our relationship you know, went from there and really been working with him since then. But about six years into that relationship, he had come off a big exit with a company that I'd worked for too, called Answers in St. Louis, which is a great success story. Exit, exited for just under a billion dollars to a big PE fund, and you know we we started thinking about what's next. And really, you know, it's I think as as any good entrepreneur, uh, he's been very entrepreneurial. He's been a serial entrepreneur and investor his whole career you know, and as any good entrepreneur, you think of problems or opportunities. And the the problem we kept seeing throughout our careers and throughout investing and being involved with early stage companies was there wasn't enough capital in the middle of the country, something, you know, Tim, you're very familiar with. They're helping solve as well. Uh, And we thought that, you know, the most impact we could have, and it would be at the A stage. So we said, well, let's see if we can raise a fund focused on an A stage investing, really kind of early A you know, maybe late seed is how we think of it. And we set out then in 2015 to raise a fund. We ultimately had success raising that fund and started putting money to work right at the beginning of, of 2016. So uh, it was really based off of seeing the opportunity, you know, doing some research and understanding why there really isn't, you know, the 1900 BC firms, so few of them are in the middle of the country, focused in the middle of the country. Yet we knew how many great entrepreneurs are here, how many great companies are here, how many great ideas, you know, are waiting for funding here. Well, that was really the start of the fund.
0: I have to reveal my my bias towards operators who get involved in venture.
1: And, <laughs> I really like that.
0: And particularly like in the Midwest, outside Silicon Valley, because you have to understand kind of how the game is played. But you learned both with the, with the companies you were involved with before Lewis and Clark, that right. early stage, but also the private equity stage. Like, right. What are some of the top things you learned from that experience?
1: Boy, that's... That's, you know, how long do we have is maybe what I would ask, you know, and I look back at the days of when I was an entrepreneur, you know, I probably made every mistake in in growing it, you know, building and starting and growing a company you could make, you know, some of the, some of the ones that, um, you know, I think about quite often and, and give advice to entrepreneurs are, you know, ask for help is one of them. You know, if you're starting out, I, I had the, you know, the foolish idea that I had to do, you know, I had to kind of figure it out on my own. And, and the reality is there's so many people out there willing to help you. Just reach out to them, you know, and I was somehow intimidated or for whatever reason, you know, I just felt like, oh, I, I've i got to just do this on my own. And I think we I probably did not. I certainly did not find people enough people out there, but I found enough of them that helped me, you know, grow the company certainly is one. And I think from the from the um, boy, there's so many uh, trying to think of a couple others that would be germane to the audience here, you know, I think it's dream dream big. You know, you're going to have. I remember having um, imposter complex. You know that that I was starting this company, and i was like, "Who am I to start this company?" And I, I uh, through my process of fundraising, I had um, I remember one meeting where I was meeting with the guy who used to run Burger King, and this was a the CEO of Burger King or former CEO, and very easy guy to talk to. And he, in this conversation, started talking about how he had imposter complex, and this is somebody who had such a storied career, and. You know, great success. And he was had great success as the CEO of Burger King. And I remember thinking, like, you have imposter complex. Like, I can't even believe I'm sitting here talking to you. And that I even wanted to, you know, start this company. And I think I think it was acknowledging that we all have that fear. We have to get over it and learn to manage it and deal with it. And it really kind of never goes away in some ways. And so when I talk to people who have an idea about a company, it's like, hey, take the leap. It'll be the best. It's going to be the best thing you'll ever do in your career. You have no idea where it's going to go, how successful or not, but either way, it's going to be a, a pivotal moment in your life take the leap.
0: That is a very good one. It, it, and it, I've been through that myself. And it, it ties back to the first one. And I remember when I've had those thoughts in the past, like, uh, it, it's actually by reaching out and talking to other people and investors. And you That's start right. getting feedback and saying, you know what, who, who am I? On the other hand, I haven't talked to anybody who said anybody has solved this problem. <laughs> right? right? So That's if right. not me, who? Right. Right. That, that's the exactly. for me. That was the best part of like emphasizing and encouraging me was well, nobody else has had this. Has well, had that's right, exactly.
1: Exactly, and so why not you? I think that's that's right. Everybody has to to deal with their own insecurities and their fears, and I think that's just one fear that you know, as an entrepreneur, as you know, you and you're going, you don't know what obstacles are you're going to find, but there will be obstacles. And any good entrepreneur just says, I don't know what it's going to be, but when they when they happen, I'll deal with it. I'll figure it out, and we'll we'll get past it some way or another. And I think that. That perseverance is probably another lesson. Where I look back at my company, and there are so many things that happened, and I, sometimes I just think about, gosh, I think I was just, you know, I was not going to give up, and that that was, you know, got me through those really dark stages where how am I going to make payroll next, you know, next Friday or whatever it might be, and figure those things out. You know, it manages to work itself out one way or another.
0: Which challenges do you think are specific and unique to your stage of investing, that Series A or the the after the seed round?
1: oh that's oh well, that's a, an interesting one
0: well, I think you know going back to
1: the, the beginning of your question and and uh you know your bias toward the investors with operating experience, I think you know we share that bias because we've been in that seat and I think we you know uh, I think there's a mentality that is that perseverance and just kind of you're gonna figure it out and so I think when we you know we're investing at the b a stage companies have revenue, they have customers it's early you know but and I think that the uh the challenges are you know probably just Keeping your foot, you know, uh, keeping focused, persevering, you know, leveraging your network, asking for advice. You know, I think the best the best CEOs that we work with are, you know, upfront and uh, about the challenges and they don't just try to sugarcoat everything.
0: And how what was different about the challenges when you got involved with private equity fund?
1: Yeah, that's uh, so through acquisitions, you know, I found myself working with uh, companies that were backed by uh, by Vista Equity Partners, um, and that was a. I learned so much from them. The challenges are, you know, it's a very different world. When you're you're a, a much later stage company but i think what probably what i learned the most from vista at least was you know they have standard operating procedures or they have you know kind of loose plays for things scenarios that happen on you know on the field try kind of a weak analogy there but um and i think it was you know thinking through all the things that potentially could happen and how how you're going to uh, you know address those so there was a you know there's a planning element to it. There was uh, some standard things that they felt any any software as a service business needs to do regard price regarding pricing, how you how you would imp- implement a customer success program. You know things like that that i that I took away and said, okay, this is really interesting to watch how a much bigger entity you know builds a company and takes them from that a pretty later stage to a much further later stage. How you, you know, rationalize uh, Bolt on investments and um, how you think about talent, I think was an interesting one. You know, they're always thinking two or three, you know, uh, turns over the horizon as far as who you're gonna need, you know, when you're gonna need a top grade. That focus on talent from the beginning was 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 really interesting. And certainly applies to venture, as you know. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, when that's... we invest, it's early and there's 10, 20 people in the company. And the company looks very different a year or two down the line. That talent and planning for talent and thinking about that is important.
0: Well, and it seems like the early stages, entrepreneurs think that the the capital is the hardest part, right? And when you get to the private equity stage, you that's realize right. capital is not a problem. It's talent. No. Talent is the constraining talent.
1: factor. Sure is. Yeah, that's right. And so, Does
0: that help you? Do you yeah. find that that's helped you then to, to see what looks so. like then and then come back to the early stage and say, okay, I know what I need to aim for now?
1: Definitely, because you know what um, you know. I think it helped me because I I had a vision. You know, I just intuitively then knew what a company looked like when it was, you know, two hundred or four hundred or six hundred people. You know, versus the very early stages. And so, how do you, you know, help the CEO and the management team when we invest build that foundation? Because what we found is, boy, when you get the right people in the right seats, things really start to take off so much more quickly. And I can think of examples from our own portfolio where. You know, a, a great CEO that we work with was just resistant for the longest time to bring in a COO or somebody to really help him with the operations. And It was something that he wasn't wasn't in his wheelhouse. He wasn't a detailed person. You know that 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 side of the house didn't excite him. And so, by the time he finally we we finally found somebody who's just been uh, you know quite a catalyst for us, it's been amazing because he's been able to grow because he's now focused doing things that he loves that are externally facing. Less so on the internal stuff. So, it's just so many examples in our portfolio, and I imagine you've you've seen it as well. Of, boy, when you get the right person in, it becomes quite an accelerator. And you have to think about that, you know, six months a year before that you're going to find that person and, and get them into that seat. So it's that really thinking about talent. And we ask the companies that we invest in. I'm sure you do as well. You know, when you're going through that process of getting to know, I'm like, well, how are you thinking about? what the team needs to look like, you know, a year from now, after you've had your round and you're starting Mm -hmm. to put that money to work, maybe even two years from now. And it's really having the CEO be self-aware enough as well to know what do they like to do? What do they want to focus on? What do they not like to do? You know, do they like the financial side of the business? They like the product side? Are they more of a, you know, externally facing go-to-market sales related um, leader? Everyone, every leader is different. And I think you could slice that and create the organization many different ways, but being self-aware and understanding that, well in advance is is super helpful and will help your company scale.
0: So, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs in terms of finding finding investors at that Series A stage?
1: Well, let's see. I I, I think you know can part of back to what I said maybe earlier around you know never being afraid to just reach out to people. Like it certainly um, you, you know try to do some research on the funds that have partners in those funds that you think you might like to work with, you know, getting to know those those folks or just understanding, you know, what are they known for? What do they specialize in? What are some of the companies they've backed? Do I know any of them? I think CEOs oftentimes probably don't do as much research on the maybe on the venture fund or the partners that'll be working with them. You know, again, you said it a minute ago, it's like, hey, we've got the capital. Great. Now let's let's go. It's like, well, you know, this is a relationship that's going to last years and years. And this is a, a very important relationship in the life of your company. And for you, the CEO and the management team. So, you know, spend the time to do all the diligence on the personnel side that we're doing on you, I think is a, you know, is is one that I would say is a big, a big thing that oftentimes companies don't do enough of.
0: Yeah, it's hard for the, some entrepreneurs to make that shift. Where they're, they're, they're like asking, trying to raise money and think, no, that money's another service provider. That's right. Really? If you can make that shift in your mind, then, then you start being a little more selective, right? But yeah, that's right.
1: Exactly. And and, when you're
0: desperate for the money, it's hard to think that way sometimes.
1: That's right. If you're, if you're building an interesting company, you're going to have options. And, um, you know, part of that option should be working with people that you really want to work with for the right reasons. That's Right.
0: Right. So, what are, uh, do you see any differences today in today's environment for entrepreneurs uh, building companies versus ten years ago uh, or more? Two thousand eight, you know, time frame, How would you compare and contrast that time frame versus today's environment?
1: Oh, sure. I think so much has happened, you know, clearly on the tech side, you know, with AWS and other tech components, I think it's, it, it aids the middle of the country because you can, it's just that much easier to build a software company. I, I think about the <laughs> the things we had to do when I started, you know, my company and the, the server closet we had and the team that we had just for some of that stuff that you don't even have to worry about anymore. is amazing. I think though that the entrepreneurs today are smarter. You know, there's so much content out there around, gosh, you name every part of entrepreneurship that I think there is so much more information Online, so many more, you know, accelerators, incubators, groups. There's just so so many more resources that I think enable folks to to take that leap and, and start the company. Probably because they, you know, they're 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 just smarter today. You know, and I think there's some there can be downsides. You know, I think in the middle of the country, some of the challenges, and maybe you see this too, is you know the 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 size of rounds is getting bigger and bigger, and oftentimes I feel like, well, you you you're, you want to raise a ten million dollar Series A. I get it. I was in your shoes, and boy, the more money the better you might think, but I think it's it's working with the entrepreneur to really have them understand that you want to raise the right amount of capital, and that can be for you know you, you have to rationalize that and because you can raise a big round doesn't mean that you should raise a big round. You know, it'll be better for the entrepreneur over time if there's multiple funding rounds. And I think that, you know, there's a West Coast mentality. If you look at the average numbers, you know, you're comparing yourself mostly from the middle of the country to the coastal. And and I just don't think you need that as much capital. You know, you want to build a business capital in a capital efficient way. And I think that that's a big lesson that I think entrepreneurs really need to understand.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs come and ask me, hey, we're thinking about raising a round. How much should we raise? they don't understand how to evaluate it. Right. It's just like, like you said, the more is better. And that's not really true. And we're benefiting because the region's getting more mature, more mature companies, and hopefully more people educated. But that's also a big reason for this podcast actually is to, to have these conversations, talk about some of these things to help entrepreneurs understand this, you know, a simple things, you know, kind of, Hey, you should double your valuation every 12 to 18 months. And, you know, your 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 typical dilution is going to be 20 to 30 percent. And if you understand those guidelines, it actually gets a lot simpler. But if you're a first-time entrepreneur and you don't know that, that's right. You have have no waypoints to figure out how to navigate it.
1: Right. That's right. Exactly. And and that's so I think some of the you know some of that is just sitting down and saying let's let's walk you through how we think about how much money that you should be raising. And and you know you, you If you're going in the right direction and you're growing, you know, as I think you say, uh, you know, capital is going to follow growth and you're going to be able to raise capital. So if you're successful, the capital will be there and your partners need to, you know, you need to rely on your partners to help you raise that capital from the right people. I mean, that's part of what I think Mm -hmm. we do. And obviously you do is once you've got a portfolio company and they're looking for that next round of capital, they're going to get it. You're going to make sure they get it. And if you have
0: the metrics back to the growth, capital follows growth, if they have the metrics, that's easy. We can help by just, we can That's open right. the door, That's you right. know, and just say, Hey, yes, I know this person, this person, this person. I can't make them invest, but I can help you at least get you in the door sure that you yeah. connect and your metrics will speak for themselves.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. So that, you know, having them, walking them through how much we think they need and why there's always a, you know, a bit of a fudge factor there, or a bit of a, you know, we, we don't know for sure. It's somewhat art and science. So you can raise a little bit more, but I think getting away from, a you know, the vanity of a bigger round, I think is, is important. And it's just, a, it's a good exercise. And I think those are, those are great conversations to have because it builds, you know, it builds the relationship. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, when we have those conversations, it's it's from a pure place of you as the entrepreneur don't want to raise, you know, uh, be at the end of this and have a very small percentage of your company as well. We want you to do really well in this. That's part of, you know, the motivator of working with other younger entrepreneurs is, boy, this is, you know, this is A, a it's a lot of fun, and B, you know, I want to see you be successful because rising tides is going to lift all boats here in the middle of the country.
0: You don't want a big preference stack hanging over your head. <laughs> That's right. You're, you're never going to be able to get out of so how has how has your portfolio thrived and survived over the past year with covid?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a it's quite been quite a year, hasn't it? Well, I think like everybody, we you know there was that moment a year oh gosh, I gonna say exactly a year ago when what's happening, who knows how long this is going to last, the market was going the wrong direction and you know we like you and others venture folks were very hands on with their with their portfolio companies. I think what we've been very we were probably lucky that some of our portfolio companies had a strong balance sheet going into that. So that that was good. They'd raised around. They had a year and a half plus of capital. Awesome. Um, and then I think certain businesses of ours... Uh, faced the COVID tailwind. You know, some businesses, just for whatever reason, I could think of a couple in our portfolio, you know, one of our healthcare customer uh, companies, really, we found out they're more mission critical than we, you know, we weren't sure that was a mission critical solution. Well, it sure is. And it turns, uh, <laughs> turns out that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But, you know, we have some other companies that have really been challenged by it for uh, a variety of reasons. And so I think it's across the board, generally been positive for the portfolio. I think also our companies have gotten, certainly our earlier the ones we had invested in earlier in our uh, investment uh life cycle uh, were further along. And so they could weather, you know, any anything that came their way. So generally been pretty, pretty positive and pretty excited about where they've all ended up.
0: That's good news. So your first few funds, you you had a couple different funds. You wanna kinda just talk through that your sure, family yeah. funds?
1: <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So uh, very much a family of funds at Lewis and Clark. So on the venture side, we have uh, our first venture fund is about $80 million. We had two $25 million, we call sidecar funds as part of that. One was dedicated to healthcare, digital healthcare. One was dedicated to plant sciences and agriculture. In our second fund, which we've just opened, so our Ventures 2 fund, uh, we just opened at $51 million. We will be fundraising and can, we'll continue to get back to uh, same size as where our first fund was but we also have a sister fund. And I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Tim prior. Um, it's a, uh, growth stage fund in focused on food and agriculture. Mm-hmm. So this is a later stage growth focused on food, supply chain, et cetera, ingredients, um, and agriculture. They're about a $250 million fund. So we are very different, different LPs, different teams, but we share some, some back office. And so if you think of assets under management, gosh, I think we're probably, you know, closer to, you know, 400, 450 all in all. So it's a, uh, great groups to be to be part of
0: so how did that come about
1: it's a good story so we we uh you know one of the things that's exciting about st louis is it's right in the middle of the agricultural world i think if you you know 500 miles uh, circumference around st louis is something like 70 percent of the of the u.s farmland so it's you know, we're in a great spot there's also a world-renowned and world-leading research institution in St. Louis called the uh, Donald Danforth Plant Science Center, which is just doing tremendous work. So there really are more plant scientists in St. Louis per capita than anywhere else you know, in the in the globe, I think, from some of the things that I've seen. So that's exciting. So St. Louis was always an innovation hub for tech, for ag tech. Um, we knew that as part of our, we've got a number of um, plant size and ag tech companies in our Fund One portfolio, Benson Hill being one of those. It's been uh, in the news and has done quite well. So we were exposed to that, and then we um, uh, had a, a peer of mine that, that joined our firm that had a, a deep background in agriculture, plant science, and uh, food, and thought this is a big enough opportunity that we should make this a separate fund, and and off they went.
0: That's cool. There's Any other news items from your portfolio you can share that are kind of recent?
1: Some recent news that we're excited about is... Uh, Beam Dental, which is a Columbus, Ohio-based portfolio company of ours, uh, raised a big round recently. So we're super excited about that. I think it's an eighty million dollars growth round. So they've continued to just be uh, do a great job. Love the leadership there with Fro and the team that he's put together. You know, it's a uh, good good success story in Ohio and Columbus, and one that we're very proud to be part of. So that's some some
0: exciting news. Yeah, Fro Fro is. Uh, I talked to Fro, so he's going to be in this season. Awesome. Uh, a podcast. He's learned a lot and uh, doing a great job from Louisville, Kentucky originally. So that is That's right. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, well, that, on that one. That's a good be... story.
1: Oh, it's a great story. Yeah. And it, you know, great leadership there. Uh, visionary founder. I, I really look forward to listening to that podcast.
0: So if you would project out, put on your future fast frontier cap and project out like what, what's the next 10 or 15 years look like in the state of tech and venture capital in the Midwest?
1: Oh boy, okay, love to do that. You know, the premise of our fund, as I mentioned before, was really not enough capital in the middle of the country. And I think that's changing, but I think it's changing slowly. And I think it's going to take a while for the middle of the country to gain parity with the coast. But so I think, you know, we're going to have, but we'll have more and more venture funds. I mean, you see this. This happening, you know, Lewis and Clark didn't exist six years ago, you know, now we've got, you know, multiple, multiple family of funds and different, you know, segments, and, you know, we think we're helping make a difference. Um, And I think you're going to see more and more of that, you know, what you see and what you've been involved with in Cincinnati. You know, it's, it's so fun to see these ecosystems evolve. And when they have a success story, you know, a big exit and how that starts to turn the flywheel just a little bit faster. And so I think you're going to see that continuing in cities like Indianapolis, where it's happening, Columbus, you know, Cincinnati, um, St. Louis, where you can just see the momentum is increasing. And I think that's going to continue. I, you know, I really am such a big believer in that innovation is, is, is anywhere and everywhere. You know, I don't know if you ever heard the story of sliced bread, but it's an interesting one. And I think it tells, (laughs) tells the story of the middle of the country. It's like, where you know, where do you think sliced bread was invented and when? And it's a fascinating story because you might think, well, it might be even Rome, right? Because people have been eating bread forever. They had knives back then. How could it not be that far back? Well, that wasn't it. Maybe it was in Paris in 1852, right? Because of the thousands of bakeries and their strong culinary tradition. Like, well, that wasn't it. It was actually Chillicothe, Missouri in like 1928. I made the date wrong, but it's so small town in Missouri. I live in Missouri. I don't even know where Chillicothe is. I think it's you know I had to look it up. It's a very small city and it's just like, why why did it happen there? It's such a great example of, well, innovation is everywhere and that's not going to change. So I think you're just going to see more and more of these companies in the middle of the country. There's so many factors that are leading into that. Certainly the being able to work from anywhere, the you know the ability to start a company so much more um, efficiently and effectively. I think the ecosystem's having matured. You know, I I really just am uh bullish and long on the middle of the country here's ability to create, you know, great companies that'll be uh, uh significant for all of us.
0: Yeah, I think you you mentioned before about um entrepreneurs dreaming big. You know, typically you think that's you know, people move to Silicon Valley and they're dreaming big. And we want them to dream big in St. Louis and that's Cincinnati right. and Michigan and other places uh where the opportunity is just as big if not bigger and they have a strategic advantage by being there because they're that's not right. competing for all that talent that they have in silicon valley and and you have more talent that understands those uh, you know various verticals you know just like you mentioned agtech or beam dental you know in columbus with drive a lot of fintech and insurance that's capabilities right. there oh yeah that don't exist in silicon valley mm-hmm. right so that's right every company is now a tech company Right? Every industry, you have to think that's like right. a tech company. But if you combine that domain expertise with the application of technology, now you're onto something. Yeah, I think that's a
1: great point. I think in the, you know, on the coast, they tend to be not always the case. They tend to be experts in technology, but the domain expertise is oftentimes here in the middle of the country, like you just mentioned, all that domain expertise in Columbus, Ohio. Combine that with, um, you know, all the other technology components, right. and you've got a yeah, Beam Dental, which is. Quite a success so yeah, far. And so.
0: sometimes that's an advantage because you can look at a problem with fresh eyes, right, mm-hmm. and, and reinvent it. But I think I think we're starting to see more and more of that here in the Midwest. And that's right. We want we to encourage to.
1: That's right. Completely agree.
0: Well, awesome. Well, Brian, thanks for uh, being on Fast Frontiers. It was great to catch up.
1: No, I really enjoyed it. Delighted to be part of it. And um, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Wish you much success with Fund Two, and then Funds Three and Four. And we'll check in again soon
1: awesome thank you tim take care
0: thanks for listening to fast frontiers if you like our show and want to know more check out our website fastfrontiers.com. if you enjoyed this episode please share it with others and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform join us next week when we bring you my conversation with kimberly reed former chairman of the board of directors, president and CEO at the Export-Import Bank of the United States. The Fast Frontiers podcast is brought to you by Refinery Ventures. Our producer is Abby Fittis. Audio engineering by Astronomic Audio. Marketing, content, and social media support from Content Callout. And our podcast platform is Casting.